Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, coming up at the Jane Bond in Waterloo, Ontario on Sunday, September 28th, my wife's birthday. Maybe I should take her out. Steve Parkinson and the Stony Lonesome are performing at the Jane Bond, located at 005 Princess Street in Waterloo. And uh, at the uh, nearby Starlight Social Club on Wednesday, October 1st, Electric 6 are performing. And then the following night, Thursday, October 2nd, Always are playing with special guest Heat. Some good shows coming up in Waterloo. The Starlight Social Club is located at 47 King Street in Waterloo. And as I mentioned earlier, the Jane Bond is at 005 Princess Street. You can learn more about each venue at starlightsocialclub.ca and janebond.ca. Two of the best venues to see music in Southern Ontario. Go check them out. Creative Control with Bish Khan. Hey, sorry that the schedule for the show seems a little out of whack uh, lately, but uh, it's been a little busy around here, and I haven't been able to do the show as regularly, and I'm also thinking maybe once a week is enough. Don't you? Someone, a couple people have told me, man, like, the show is cool, but I can't keep up. And that's fine. I understand. I don't know. I'm just making as much as I can. I don't know. I have no schedule, really. Sometimes it's once a week. Some You've seen it. Sometimes it's four times a week. I just... It depends how I'm feeling. Anyway, I hope you're cool with it. Now, I was all weirded out this week, at least the show has been, because I hosted uh, the Ox broadcast of the Polaris Music Prize Gala on Monday, and then I was in Toronto Tuesday. And it was fun. I had a good time. It was chaos, but I'd like to thank the Ox people for asking me. I, I enjoy the chaos. I outwardly complain about the chaos, but I think I secretly quite like it. It's very relaxing in a way. It's not as intense a thing, you know, to be on web TV with no net. And you're just they're just like, well, whatever happens, I'm like, okay, if you say so. And it's fun. So thanks to Sam and Ashley and Nicole and everybody who makes me uh, feel like I know what I'm doing when I do that thing. And I hope you enjoyed... Seeing me, it's still online if you want to watch me stumble about at the Polaris thing. Polaris Music Prize uh, thing. It was fun. Tanya Tagak won. Former guest. Former guest. One-time guest on the show. So, I was pleased. It was good. It was a fun time. Anyway, on Tuesday, while I was in Toronto, I connected with my... uh, I guess she's my friend. 
She's someone whose work I really admire. Christine Fellows from Winnipeg, Manitoba, has a new poetry book and album. They complement one another. It's called Burning Daylight. And she's she just released it this uh, this week. And I'm a big fan, so we, we went and had uh, lunch at a place in Toronto. Um, and you'll hear about that now. And you'll hear some songs and pieces from this poetry music collection. And that's the show. And we... T- and... Closest I think I've come to crying on this show, ever. I didn't think I would cry. I don't cry. I cried when... Actually, you'll find out one of the last times I cried uh, on this episode. And I I did cry when I was dumped. But that's, I think, supposed to. I was just... Yeah. Why am I telling you this? Just as me and Christine Fellows, you won't cry. I almost cried. You'll be fine. You'll be just fine. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerotti, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. In the middle of the night, I will take my leave the way I come. In a gunny sack, drug over Chilkoot Pass. I stayed for the wild blue iris, hemlock and the devil's club. For the glowing coals of burning daylight Um, okay, can you first of all tell me your name and the name of this place? Uh, so my name is Kyle Uh, you're here at Milagro Mercer Uh, just on the corner of John and Mercer Uh, it's a Mexican cantina Uh, so we have pretty much uh, anything authentic that you can think of from Mexico, we have it here in the cuisine, uh, and it tastes great. It tastes really good. All right, Kyle, I appreciate that. Now, Christine Fellows, do you know what you're having yet? Have you decided? I have decided. I've made a decision. Absolutely. So, because um, uh, I'm a vegetarian. Yes. So and, I, and I notice it says that there's vegetarian options available, yes. Right. So I can... Uh, can you do you the enchiladas vegetarian? Yes. So under vegetarian, we have a couple um, sauces that I can recommend. Okay. Uh, Rojas, which is like a tomato sauce, is a little bit on the spicier side, yeah. but uh, still very tasty. Yes. Where Tacuba is like a uh, green sauce that's on the milder side, uh, more sour than it is um, uh, spicy. Okay. Uh, as far as veggies go, those are the two options that you have for enchiladas. Uh, tacos, I can also get you a vegetarian taco. I know it's not on the menu, okay. uh, but we can get that for you if you like as well. Okay. And it's Secret menu items. Yes. Secret menu. That's pretty special. I know. It's good to know someone <laughs> here, for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, okay. those are your And the, the tacos are they're corn tortillas, right? Corn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'll have vegetarian tacos. Lay it on me. 
right, that's switch, a good I made a switch up. That was good. Last minute switch up. Sometimes you would be known as a difficult customer in some yes. circumstances. No? Never here. We don't have difficult customers here. We always try No, to I know them. I'm difficult. I like this guy. <laughs> I know. He's good, yeah. He's I think also I'm very gonna, handsome. I'm going to say, yeah, you're a good looking guy. <laughs> you're easy on the eyes. <laughs> La Perla? Is that how you say that? La Perla. Absolutely. A uh, little habanero sauce. It's uh, spicy if you like it. Can I get like a mild? I got a thing. I can't take. Sp- I know. I look Indian. I am Indian. I'm, I can't handle like crazy spices. I not as. I like Indian food, but for some reason, other things like it gets to me. I don't know. Whatever. Just do your thing. I'll let the kitchen know. Absolutely, no problem. Okay. So la perla and taco vegetarian. Anything to start? Guacamole and chips or some guac? Yeah, yeah that'd be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Kyle. Fresh every single day. Awesome. Oh, nice. Thank you. This is great. This is a good Cheers. choice. You just saw this walking by the. Yeah, Street? and it's weird that I had been here before, but I didn't realize that this was a place that I had been before. Now, what would have brought you to this neck of the woods? CBC's nearby. No, we were doing that show, Everything Under the Moon, at the Harborfront Center, oh, okay. which probably you didn't go to. Was that a thing with Sherry? Yeah, me and Sherry Boyle. Yeah. And uh, we were looking for a place where we could bring everyone for an after, after the show thing. And you know how Toronto, it's like rammed full. Every place yeah, is yeah. rammed full. So we came here, and it was great because we could fit like 15 people. I find this area, so just so people who don't know Toronto, we're kind of near what, like the Rogers Center and the CBC, we're like... In the terrible zone. It's a weird zone. It's like a it's businessy zone, yeah. like front John area. And what did you say, Mercer? I didn't even yeah, know, we're yeah. on the corner. Oh yeah, that's Mercer, yeah, yeah. anyway. So there's, I found, because I used to work in this area for years, there's just not a lot of good stuff to eat. I don't want to blame anyone or fault anyone, but I, I found that it was hard to get good food. Yes, I agreed. My parents were staying here a lot last year because my mom was coming into town for, um, she uh, was doing radiation treatments. Oh. How delightful. Yeah. And uh, so they were staying down here all the time and, and uh, it, was, it was crazy. It was a problem. You think, because a lot of people that go and do treatments at that hospital stay right down here and there is not like one healthy option yeah. within walking distance. Yeah. I would, how's your mom doing? She's doing great. Oh, good. Awesome. Good. I, uh, yeah, I had a bike when I worked here. So I would just bike up to the streets that I liked with the food, like Bloor in college where yeah. I thought the real food was. Oh. Am I being snobby? Yeah, you're being a little snobby. <laughs> Bloor in college. <laughs> I, those are not like amazing food streets, but I just would go. I just also for the exercise, you work at a desk job, just get on a bike, go. I like working for my meal a little bit. Sweating yeah. it a little bit. Just getting out there and, you know. Well, and this is a great city for biking, even though I know it's dangerous, but it is like, as they go, it's bikeable. It's bikeable. It's way easier. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. So you're in Toronto uh, yes. on tour behind your new project. Well, it's not technically technically on tour. I'm just come. I just oh. came here to do a book launch, which I've never done before. Um, and we're just doing one in Winnipeg, and then actually we'll start touring it in January because the album has a has a sort of uh, winter theme. So I thought it'd be a great idea to bring it back to the place that inspired it. Oh. So we're going to the Yukon. Oh, wow. With the trio, with me and the two cellists, the uh, ladies. Who's in the Who's in the band? It's uh, me uh, and uh, Alex McMaster. She's from here, from Toronto. She plays cello and trumpet and clarinet and sings beautifully. And uh, Leanne Zacharias, who uh, I've played with for, I don't know, since she was 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Cradle robber that I am. <laughs> and she plays cello also and sings. And so it's the three of us. Right. Yeah. And, and is that the configuration on the record? Yes, yes. I was thinking about, and the record is called Burning Daylight. Yes. And I was thinking as I was listening to it that among your recent records, it's a fairly sparse affair. Is that, is that accurate? 
Well, yeah, we tried to do it. I actually recorded it here in Toronto, and um, uh, we did most of it li live off the floor. So, and it was sort of arranged with the idea in mind that it would be something that we could perform live as well. Although there are secretly like lots of overdubs. Little okay, but it I think I'm thinking of popular. You've made some really like pop, yeah, or like orchestrated pop records. I'd say like a lot of the layers, and this one has a sparseness and a directness to it that. I'm, I just haven't heard you do in a while, maybe. Well, it was the no drums thing. The yeah. no drums was a big thing. And you know, like, it's a, a weird... Once you enter that, that world, you have to really commit to it because drums and electric instruments fill up holes and things. Yeah. And when you have take all of that away, um, it's uh, scary. scary. It's a bit scary. You found it scary? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because it's just like you have to do everything right sort of like the first or second or third time and then if you don't do it right then it's kind of like well that's true when you're you recording know? a song with a drummer usually the way things go these days unless you're doing something really live off the floor that it's really up to the drummer not to screw up that first or second take or well, not first or second take but that that bed track you usually build everything on top of a good solid drum track yeah and you and then you it, it's safety you've got a little safety yeah. net there you know of something to ride on top of and with us we did use a click track if you're interested in the boring. I, I wasn't, but, but now I am. No, <laughs> but I'm it kidding. is a weird thing. I know some people are like anti-click track, but just the structure of some of the pieces that required it. And it was just easy for us to have something. They're both, those two women are amazing musicians, so they, they can live in that world and it not adhere to it, not listen to the click track, but right. play just with it in the, in the background. Right. Now, the, the record and the poetry book, th these yeah. are complimentary pieces, right? Yeah. And they were inspired by a certain writer? Yeah, Jack London. Do you, are you not a fan? I know, I'm, I'm not, I don't actually know his work that well. I know oh, yeah. a little bits about Jack London, and you were inspired. But he's a guy that wrote about kind of Gold Rush stuff, Klondike kind of stuff. He wrote about a lot of things, but one of, um, he was, I think, probably best known for the, the Klondike stuff that he wrote. And he was turn of the 20th century, so... He, um, he just happened to go up uh, to the Yukon with, I think it was his brother-in-law that was going up and, and needed some, somebody to kind of help him because he had to carry a certain amount of gear over there. They wouldn't let you in if you didn't oh. bring a certain amount of stuff. And he was just a really curious soul. So he went with no idea of trying to strike it rich. He, wasn't, he didn't have the gold fever, you know? He just went. Almost and, like uh, an observer. Yeah. yeah. And the weird thing is, is that... Um, but at the time of his, his death, he was probably one of the um, uh, wealthiest. best known and wealthiest writers. Yeah. Like he, he actually struck gold from his writing instead of, because he made no money up in the Yukon. And yeah, he made a fortune. He died like at 40 years old. He died very young, I yeah. thought. Yeah, I, which might have been par for the course at that time. Given. No, no, he was, he was a bit of, he, he lived hard. And oh, he did he? lived okay. hard and, yeah. He was accused of like plagiarism and stuff. He, there was so his life was fraught with everything, but he he did crazy stuff like sailed the South Seas and oh. and and uh, he traveled the world at a time when people didn't travel the world and and he uh, yeah he he was a really extreme he was like an extreme uh, kind of be person in the world, but he also had that weird uh, work ethic where he wrote a thousand words a day like he would force himself and it was early on in his life he grew up very poor and. He was trying to make a living as a writer, which is also something that I was interested in, this idea of someone that saw writing as a way out. Yeah. 
of poverty, you yeah. know, whereas we don't gen- really think of that like that now. <laughs> Not really, no. You I know? mean, it happens in rare cases, but uh, yeah. So the, were there specific pieces of his that resonated with you? Yeah, this, uh, the sort of central story that I was kind of working from was that in, it's a masterpiece of, of short fiction. It's that story, uh, To Build a Fire. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's I, don't, I haven't read I'll be frank. I don't, as far as I know, I've not read any Jack London. Should I have encountered him at school or something? Maybe Call of the Wild. Some kids read Call mm-hmm. of the Wild and White Fang, which are kind of... White Fang, I know like I know yeah. that stuff, but Maybe I don't... Read, but saw the movie? There was mm-hmm. movie adaptations? I know, I know I these. Know I know the names but I can't say that I've read it personally. I'm trying to be honest with you. Most people in this position would lie (laughs) and say, oh yeah, I read it 50 times. But no, I don't think I've read his stuff. Well, maybe you will one day when you're up in uh, Olecta. Thank you. Thanks so much. That was beautiful. Thanks, Kyle. Do you like to get the crunch on that? Mm -hmm. How is it? It was good. I just had the first chip. I'm, I'm a little hungry. Are you? Did you eat? I haven't eaten yet today. Not. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I know. That's not healthy. I know. You know, I'm traveling. It's hard. This isn't my fault. I was late for our interview. No, it's perfectly fine. It's okay. a beautiful day. It's it is a nice day. No, it's good. You should try the guac. Right on. Anyway, sorry. You were saying um, something about a oh, very yeah. specific story that. Yeah, to build a fire. So it's the. It's. It's. Um, it's just basically about a guy freezing to death on the trail. He's yeah. he's walking, going by foot up in the in the Yukon, trying to go by foot from A to B. And I guess the inherent lesson in the story is don't travel alone. Yeah. So, um, and we, you know, we all know that. All good Canadians in the wilderness, you know, you have your sort of things you go by. But but it's a it's just a really uh, it's just a m- masterful piece of work and I, I guess I was reading it to to my husband John when we were in uh, we were at, up in Dawson City and yeah. it was February oh you, you yeah okay we did that residency the songwriters right. residency where they bring the songwriters up in February right which is brilliant yeah what was it like in February well and we're from Winnipeg right like we know the cold and we brought our big parkas with us and it it was like there was ice fog it was it was unbelievably cold when we were there. Minus 46 was the, the, the warmest it was. Do people go out and do stuff in that weather? Or people they do go out and do stuff. We saw, you know, people dog sledding and, you know, living their life. I mean, it's, it's not as populated up in Dawson yeah. in the winter time, obviously. But John was doing um, uh, curling clinics and stuff while nice. he was there. So, so, and it's one of those uh, outdoor, like it's uh, natural ice. On oh, that curling okay. rink, so it was kind of, oh, okay. which is a rare thing. Curlers really get excited about that when it's natural ice. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know much about. Oh well. I mean, a natural anything over a synthetic or fabricated yes. thing must be nice, I assume. And so. Yeah, but it was intense, and we we traveled a lot in the. We did. We toured also as part of that residency. So we went up to Old Crow, which is only flyable, and uh, most people, even Yukoners, don't go there because it's insanely expensive to fly did there. Did you fly in rickety planes? I wouldn't call them rickety. I flew in a rickety plane. To did you? The one from Whitehorse to Dawson? Yeah, the Whitehorse to Dawson run was pretty rickety. It was pretty nerve-wracking. I think it can be very... Um, sorry for the crunching. I approve and promote the crunching on the air. People love hearing people eat food. Really? No. I don't know. Some people are probably like, I'm getting hungry. I hope everyone listening 
breaks out a bowl of guacamole and chips. Oh, yeah. This you know what, though? Avocado, you just can't go wrong with avocado. Yeah, it's good. I'm having trouble getting some on this chip. There we go. It's really good. It is quite good. I made a good choice. We make a lot of good choices. <laughs> okay. So, was this Burning Daylight stuff something that came came out of your time as a songwriter in residence in Dawson City, or did it precede it? Well, it was before I went up there. I knew I wanted to, um, to use the time, and I was. It was right at the perfect time for me. I had finished um, the previous uh, project. Just had just finished recording it. I think. Yeah, and so I was on my way up just kind of thinking about it, and I had two ideas, the seeds for the two projects that I m did, Everything Under the Moon, the one I was telling you about where we came here to this place oh, for right. that Sorry, yeah. after party. I had the the vision for that, the first image of for that, and for Burning Daylight as well. And like I'm Everything Under the Moon, what are you doing? Sorry, I'm, I, can't, no, I can't eat. Yeah, Everything Under the Moon. Yeah, but Everything Under the Moon happened in 2012. Oh, okay. And then this took a little... Bit a couple detours. So you're basing it. It's at least. In, how is it? What is the connection to Jack London's work? Well, in my idea, maybe it won't translate like this, if so for anybody who's listening to it. But in my idea, I wanted to respond to that story, and I wanted to. I mean, much of the the writing, his writing, and the writing of the time um, was set, uh, around the Gold Rush was much, very much centered around um, the camaraderie of men. And women were these, you know, they lived around the perimeters. And actually, there's a really great book um, that I found when I was up there called Women of the Klondike by Frances Backhouse. Okay. Which basically just, she went and kind of, it's a feminist retelling of the of the gold rush. And it's fascinating. Like, they, all, all the people that ended up in that place were fascinating, really. Oh, wow. Really. Are we already have our food. Oh, tacos. Do a thing. Great, thanks. Thank you. That looks beautiful. Thank you so much. Look at that. I don't know how we're gonna. We picked finger food. This isn't knife and fork food, so this is gonna I be. Don't. Well, maybe we could do the thing where we. We want to take a break and take eat a, a break bit? and then eat and then come okay, back. Okay. Well, so where were we talking about before we take the break? Uh, I don't remember. I was blabbing. Can we play a song from the record? Yeah. Why don't we do that? We'll take a break. Sure. Play a song from the record and then we'll eat and then we'll come back. Yes. What's the song? Oh, uh, on the spot. What's well, a good song? Why don't we do? I uh, listened to "To Build a Fire," which is sort of named for the the Jack London story we were just talking about. Build a fire. To build a fire. Yeah. To, to build a fire. Okay. We'll hear that. We'll eat. We'll it's a bit back. of a bummer. It's not really food eating music. That's fine. We, we're, I'm not going to hear it. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to eat my tacos. We'll <laughs> let the people hear. It. Okay. Okay. We'll be back with more with Christine Fellows, but this is "To Build a Fire" from the new album, Burning Daylight. Okay. On this winter morning. Wake up, up above the tree line in the dark Shivering On this winter night you will sleep Dreamless underneath a canopy of stars Wherever you are
on this lonely mountain Turn to watch the snow creep down into the valley You stumble and fall On this lonely mountain you will lie Face up waiting for the fire to subside Shivering Pretty full. Oh my god, it's stuffed. It's that so was good. good. You didn't even, I gotta say. I know, I'm just. You're not done. I think, I, well, I'm done for now. Just gonna relax. <laughs> Talk about budgies. Now, we were just talking about budgies, and you, what happened? You recently acquired a budgie named Pickles? Well, he, we named him Pickle. <laughs> Why'd you name the budgie Pickles? Green? He's green. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that weird? Well, we. No, my budgie was green, and I named him Buddy. Well, we were gonna call him Flappy. Flappy, but which is also <laughs> obvious, but it was too close to the dog's name. So anytime we would be talking to the budgie, the dog, everybody would come. What was the dog? What's the dog's name? Lefty and Lucy. So Lefty and Lucy. Lefty, Flappy. Yeah, I can see that. It's too. They were. Everyone was confused. So we were like, we have to choose a name that has no relation. Pickles. Pickles. Yeah. That's pretty good. He's the greatest. No, he just flew like out of the sky and literally onto my arm mm-hmm. in my yard. So now we have this. Uh, and I've never been a... I, I love birds. I think I think they're amazing, and I, I'm a total avid birder, but I'd never thought about living with one in my house. And then you were just telling me about Buddy. So I had a budgie named Buddy that I had from when I was uh, 9 to 19, I guess. Something like that. That's extraordinary. And I... Yeah, some of your friends when you're a kid, they have dogs and whatever, and you have a budgie. And then if you're me, you kind of go on about how great your budgie is and people don't... Would really, you? And oh, they wouldn't yeah. believe you because they think it's No, just I mean, yeah. I had another friend who had a budgie too and they didn't care that much about their budgie. But I like... Buddy was cool. And uh, I taught him to say his name. Like I'd go like, buddy, buddy, buddy. And he'd go like, buddy, buddy, buddy. Like he would repeat after me and I would sing the Crowded House song, You Better Be Home Soon to him. And he would fall Do you want to do a little... <laughs> That's what... No, I'm not going to do it. Anyway... <laughs> I had a better, much better voice before the stuff. I got older, and I, anyway, I would sing these songs to him, and uh, we'd play. So one of the things we would do, I tried to explain this to you before about baths. Um, yeah. There's a few things that you were because you were just like, how do how do budgies work? I don't, and I'm learning. They yeah. apparently like mirrors. Oh, love mirrors, and uh, they will glom onto the personality of the person they love the most. And so budgie, uh, buddy rather, would. Uh, Every morning, go nuts when he heard one of the family come downstairs. Uh, usually, my mom would be down first. And did you put the cloth over Cover his... over him in the cage? Did you make it go dark as night in there, or did you just white cloth? White is fine. 
I thought it was just a white cloth. I don't know why we did that. It seemed kind of weird, like no air. I know. That's why I worry about it. But he seems to, you know, no, he's in there. We were, I think we were told to do it or something. So Maybe the, it's an urban myth. Maybe it's one of those things no one knows why. I think it's to keep them warm. Oh, really? I think so, because it's, you know, we, we get into blankets, and we're not in the yeah. open air. Like, if you went, yeah, they're, they're they can't be too cold, birds, budgies. I never thought about that. I think it's to keep them warm. So, it's not necessarily to be like, you are sensory deprived. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a sensory deprivation thing. It's just like, it's cold. So, we'd put like a cloth on him. But anyway, my mom would let him out, and he'd be like chirping when he heard it was coming down the stairs. And he would immediately like fly to the three little like chandelier style lights my parents have chirping his head off until he heard my voice and I'd be like buddy like I just woken <laughs> up because he'd wake me up and he would fly onto my comforter and my blanket and he would like to buy my feet and he would just waddle his way up and then kiss me on the nose and he loved me it's because I saved his life my sister sat on him <laughs> That's right. I told you this story but my sister <laughs> sat on him and he had one leg on either side of a couch cushion, and so his body went into the crack, but his legs stayed up. And at one point, we didn't know. I, at one point, I just said, hey, Anita, where's, where's Buddy? And she's like, I don't know. I, maybe he's upstairs. I'll go look. So she hopped up, and I was watching TV, and out of the corner of my eye, I just saw, like, thump, like I heard the sound, and Buddy just, like, launched himself. He was under this woman's ass, this small girl's <laughs> ass in a couch, and he just popped himself up land on the ground flapped and flapped and I picked him up and I looked at him he was breathing very heavily and just looking at me like dude that that was the worst thing that's ever happened to me I'm a budgie I'm not supposed to be sat on and I, I his legs are all pried up and I had to pull them out from his body you know save okay. his life and then, I don't understand how that I don't understand the leg thing I don't know what to tell you I was a kid he and I called my dad at work after it happened to be like dad like I was yeah what do I do 10 or 11 like dad what the hell like buddy you got sat on like he's hurt but by the time my dad got there, I had done it. I just instinctively pulled his legs wow. out from his... They were kind of... As I say, they were beside his breast. Oh, like my up, God. You know what I mean? Like, like he looked like a DeLorean. Oh, my God. Like, he had two sets of wings. So, I had to pull them out. Anyway, from that point on, I was his favorite guy. I saved his life. And he would come and kiss me and stuff. And he would eat sometimes. They're a little gross because they poo everywhere. Yes, I've noticed that. But the poo... But if you take your glasses off, you don't see it. No. The thing about the poo, I'll tell you about the budgie poo. You got to okay. get it. As soon as you see it land, this get is it. probably gross. But as a kid, I would just, my finger. It's just like in one clump, if everything's going, it's a little gross. gross. It is gross, but I would just, I wouldn't eat it or anything. <laughs> I just like to dispose of it. If you put your, if you gently tap it, it just, the whole clump <laughs> sticks to your finger and then you go and you wash it off and then you eat a sandwich um, <laughs> or whatever you're going to do. But he would eat my cereal. He would perch on the bowl of my cereal bowl and he would drink the milk. And if I, it, Are they allowed to eat dairy? I, it depends I on the diet. I don't think they're lactose intolerant. I think they just do what they do. I, he would nip at it, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I, at the time, was eating horrible cereal, so he liked the chocolate milk, I think, and the, the cereal <laughs> would... Per- and occasionally he would fall in and he would just be covered in this, like, s'mores, grams, gunk. But he would take baths. If you take him in the shower, like if you go and take a shower and you have your glass of, I would have, we would have a glass of water and he would bathe in the water. He loved it. They're the best. I love, I miss my, my budgie, buddy. He was the best. Did you ever take him outside? No, 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 no. Never, ever. No, never. They're not to That's go outside. Big, no, in fact, it sounds like you inherited a, Somebody a wayward who, budgie. Yeah. And that's not good. No, they don't survive. 
It's not. No, you can't. Although the when we took because we took him to the Humane Society, we did our due diligence before we inha- we adopted Pickles. But when we took him to the Humane Society, they said that budgies, in fact, can fly very quite long distances. Well, I'm sure they can, but I don't think that they're they are such a tiny. Yeah. They are prey. Like they're they're built. To, they're a beautiful. Yes. I think if you were a bird of prey, you'd be like that is amazing, and I am going <laughs> to kill that and eat it or chase it for sport because it's just yeah. so adorable. Um, yeah, I, I'm happy you have pickles. That's great. What color was Buddy? He was green. Oh, he's a green one with the yellow head? We're a good yeah, good. yeah, thank you. We're just going to chat some more. Yeah. Yeah. It's green. So did he have blue tail? He had a, yeah, yeah like a dark blue tail. And uh, uh, what was, th- they said that you could tell if it was male or female by the spots, I think. They told us that he was a male at the, and but they didn't tell us how they did determine that. I think it has... Uh, we can look this up, spots. but I, th- I think it's spots on their face or something. Yeah, he has little blue specks. Yeah, yeah. He's beaut- the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It's pretty remarkable. I think bird, dog and cat people, and I'm a cat guy. Yeah, yeah. I have a cat named Gary. He's awesome, too. Um, I like pets. I like animals. But, yeah, birds are magical. I think that people... I have no idea. I know. They are messy. Like, the, if you get into, like, parrots and stuff, like, that shit is brutal like i can't imagine that flying around your house just having these bird shit everywhere yeah but he as i say the budgie doo-doo is pretty uh manageable you i would also use kleenex i wouldn't just use my fingers but you dab it it's a dab and gone yeah yeah. that's what i found and then when it if you don't get at it because if they go up into your curtain rods and then they leave a little yeah it's fuck it's gross but at least you can it's not the grossest that you can get it out well i figure dogs are pretty gross we have a couple pretty gross. gross dogs so I like that you're an animal person. It's a bit insane over there right now. There's like we live in a tiny house, a very small house, with two giant dogs, and now a budgie. Yeah, now the budgie. And yeah. are the animals getting along? Well, the one of our dogs is quite old, so he's just pretty chill. He just kind of, you know, takes it in stride. But the other one is deeply curious, and she's also obsessed with tennis balls. And oh, uh, pickles and a tennis ball are yeah. very similar in sort of. Yeah, keep an eye on that situation. Yeah. That's not good. But I think they'll they'll learn. I hope so. Yeah, we're hoping. But it's like, it's a, I had no and idea. Pickles flies free. I just monitored periodically. Most of the time he's in his house, but I bring him out. You got to let it out of the cage. Well, the thing is, they clipped his wings at the Humane Society, and apparently that's what they do. He can't fly? He can't. He can sort of fly, but he land like he... Why he, do they clip the wings? Apparently that's what they do. When a wayward... Yeah. yeah, when they when they because uh, they'll grow back. Oh, apparently they grow back. It just takes like six months or something. Oh, and okay. By that time, hopefully, whoever has adopted it would understand. I guess they can't have these birds flying everywhere. Or like I know, but w- I, trying to fly everywhere. I wish they hadn't. Yeah, we were we were sad about that. That but was kind of one of back. Things. I didn't realize they came back like that. Yeah, but he does. He was pretty. Um, he was pretty traumatized when he first showed up, and but it only took him a couple of days. Yeah. But I'm just saying too. Uh, yeah, listeners of your <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it is a. It is worthwhile looking into this as if you want to have a pet. Maybe you have a small kid. Yeah, that and you're not sure if you want to commit to a large they're animal. They're called lovebirds. Like they're very uh, social and forthcoming. That like they they're cool. I like them that way. It's good. Do you yeah. write about? Have you written about? You've written songs about birds, haven't a you? A few. I feel like you've written few. a few songs about birds. A few, yes. Most of my songs are about birds. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't ever think about having one living in my house. I thought it was weird, and it isn't weird at all. It's, it's wonderful. There's not many like, 
because I know that at various points in your you've you've mentioned a, 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 a vague fascination at least well, not a vague you've been fascinated by spinsters yeah. in the past too and like I assume that there are spinsters who surround themselves with animal life and birds would be a good spinster animal well I think so I think Marianne Moore who is one of the people that I uh, I wrote a lot about her work. She's an American poet, a spinster, a well-known spinster, wore a big cape and a tricorn hat, the whole nine yards. But uh, she had an alligator in her bathtub at a certain point. Whoa. She was extreme in the pet department. Yeah, yeah. that's weird. She liked weird animals. Okay. So there's an an... That's interesting. You isolate yourselves from... I mean, if you take the idea of a spinster at the general sort of perception of a spinster of kind of isolating yourself from other people, but surrounding yourself with alligators or other weird animals that's kind of so there's yeah that's well there's something amazing about being able to communicate to a creature that is non-verbal but communicate so well and i feel like that even when you know when i'm alone with the animals in the house and john as well hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm. I feel like I'm have a a really uh, rich social yeah yeah <laughs> social like our house is full it's still yes there's one person missing but it's still there's a lot going on yeah, it doesn't yeah. have that Gary comes my cat comes and sees me when I'm working in my office all the time just to be like hey you're good I'm like yeah I'm good thanks buddy uh, like, cool. we had our cats when we had cats ours have per- perished but we had the thing where they would sit on the computer laptop until it turned blue <laughs> you know the yeah. screen goes blue and it's and then you have to take it to the store and they have to do something oh, to it. No, I never had. No, Gary's they like good. it because it's hot. Oh, I never thought of that. Never leave your laptop open with a cat around. No, Gary wouldn't do that. My, no, that. Gary's a good boy. Gary's a good boy. I like Gary. <laughs> Gary, I've been lucky. I've been, I think I've been pretty lucky with my pets over the years. And they just sort of came to me in weird ways. Anyway. Yeah, Buddy sounds extraordinary. Buddy, Buddy was great. He died uh, the day I got back from um, my first semester of university for the Christmas break. I kind of checked in with my parents during exams, and they said, yeah, he's not he's sick, he needs to go to the vet, so we took him, I think I came home to take him to the vet, and then, no, I got home from university, we took him to the vet, and they said, yeah, he's probably got a tumor, um, Wow. there's nothing you can really do. Did they um, euthanize him, or did he, no, he, he just came home and... No, he stuck around, like, I got home, and he seemed happy to see me as much as he could in his Aww. condition. And I went to sleep, and or I went to bed rather, and I just heard a thump, and I went down, and my my good friend had died, I'm so and he was sorry. just staring. You know, he's lying on his poo-covered uh, newsprint, and his eyes were wide open, and it sucked, and I cried. It's probably I was like 19, and I cried. Oh God! Over a budgie. 
But I, and people laugh. No, it doesn't matter. I love that guy. He was the best guy. So did you have a funeral? What did you guys do? No, uh, some Hindu ritual was kind of done. It was winter, but I think we did a thing. I just sort of followed my parents' lead. I think he had, he was in a river. He was sort of deposited in a river. He wasn't buried anywhere. And that's, that's something you do. So he's, yeah, he floated down a river and gone oh wow <laughs> but yeah it was uh it's weird i'm getting emotional about i know buddy. yeah he's a good boy you're you just have a stuffed nose you're not crying no but i'm <laughs> i'm feeling because i i immediately i mean they are such fragile amazing creatures and yeah. they're like you said you know they can get sat on or something can happen to them and yeah you gotta keep them that's why yeah in the house and warm and they like warm temperatures and are they, they're, they're a tropical bird, I believe, or something. I don't yeah, know. from Australia. And I Is remember when yeah. we were in Australia, like a few years ago, that was my greatest joy there was looking around at, because at, they have crazy, you know, yeah. parakeets of all, not just budgies, but different kinds of parakeets, like just flying around all over the place. And yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> Are there birds in Burning Daylight? Uh, crows. Crows. Ravens, crows. What do they represent to you? Well, they're just uh, northern. They're in creatures of the north and i am i do i am fascinated by crows i mean you probably heard was it a radio lab uh piece or um this american life or something about about crows and how they can use they can create tools they're they're that which is a is a complex thing for a brain to be able to figure out they can create tools to get food so they they fashion tools and and they recognize people and they'll recognize they can teach their their offspring to then recognize you and future generations will recognize wow. yeah they, they I didn't have, hear this. Wow. yeah they can do crazy stuff it's really they're fascinating but I wasn't necessarily centered around uh, c- birds or, or crows or anything in this in burning daylight it was more uh, about uh, sled dogs which are kind of central and Did they're Bern- very oh. important to the north I guess you know right so okay so or dogs formerly they're not as much now? Well, no, because it used to be an absolute essential. It was the way of getting around, and then they invented, you know, it's like horses. Right. You know, used to be really important to us. Right. And now, um, and that was one of the things that, that was also so devastating to, like, Inuit communities where they, people would come in and, like, just kill all their dogs, and they're like, this is crazy. These these are, they're so connected to us and to our livelihood and how we how we live in the world, you know? Yeah. You've, uh, I, I mean, we talked about your fascination with spinsters and specific uh, people that, um, who was it again? You mentioned. Oh, Marianne Moore. Yeah, you mentioned Marianne Moore. We've mm-hmm. been talking about Jack London. You have at least a history of taking an artist whose work you admire and then adapting it to your own, for your own purposes. Why do you suppose you gravitate towards that approach? Have you thought about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. And I know that, like, with this most recent, the project that I'm currently working on, that Sherry, with Sherry Boyle, we're do, doing a tour, actually, in Northwest Territories uh, in two weeks. So we're going to be going up and doing this crazy thing. And it was the first time in a really long time I did a piece of, a series of writing that wasn't based around a, a, another artist's work. It, well, well, I guess it was. It was working with Sherry, working with a living yeah. artist, you know, and collaborating that way. But I do love the idea of, I think that art is a conversation and I love to have that conversation, whether or not it's with someone's work or whether if it's with another artist. For me, it's just a natural 
way that I like to make art in the world or I find myself doing that, it's not so much mining my own feelings about stuff. And do you, do you articulate the influence out of due diligence and respect? Or like if you had, if you had put this project out and didn't frame it around where the influence... Because so many artists are influenced by so many things. Right. And some of us will never know unless they do an interview and say, well, actually, like it's not spelled out. But in right. the promo promotional material, Jack London's name is mentioned. You know, there's all this mention of the gold rush and Klondike, you know, the, the culture of the Yukon, I suppose, or the historical culture. And I'm just curious, did you think, like, what if I just put this out? What if I let people kind of draw <laughs> their own conclusions? And well, it was interesting because I, when we were putting it together as a book, which was came later, the idea of doing it as a, as an, uh, approaching it as a book, I started going, I returned to his writing and was um, kind of, I wanted to use some, you know, some epigraphs and I was kind of approaching it again from, uh, from a distance, I guess, yeah. and looking, looking for that. And it was, um, it was really like a lightning strike because I'm one of those I make something I'm like I can be so engaged in it and be have read this piece and know it super well and then forget yeah I forget yeah. I move on it's sure. gone sure. you know it's gone and so for me returning to it and it was like reaffirming to know that even though I don't remember a lot of the research process that it's really contained in there and that it was really essential so pulling out the work and showing and showing the inspiration and showing his writing felt really like it was important. Okay. It was an important part of, to me, that's, and I don't know, it's, it just seemed like the right thing I to do. I think the conversational aspect that you mentioned, or rather, like the conversational aspect, the kind of weird, it's temporarily weird, but you're almost collaborating with these long gone people. In a, in a sense, you're kind of working together, whether they know it or not. And I, I think that's all... That's all well and good. I'm curious where that stems from. Um, I want to ask you about your earliest days uh, coming up with stuff, like coming up with artistic stuff. Were you always sort of like, that person did something interesting. I kind of think I can draw from that and and have a, that conversation. Or were you, was there a point where you were finding your voice and, and doing so independently of other, other ah, factors? Well, it's weird. When I grew up uh, uh, in Kelowna, on the Lake Okanagan there and uh, and we were kind of uh, you know it, it was back in when I was growing up there was nobody around there it was pretty wild and we just were kind of run wild and you'd come back home when the sun was going down you were just left to our own devices so for me it was a lot of times you know just wandering around in nature by the lake and just spending a lot of time by myself I guess so um not in a bad way it was just you were just out using your imagination all the time but I remember and it's funny because my friend's kid was at at the book launch last night and he was back it's at Type Books which is that wonderful bookstore um, on Queen there and mm -hmm. he was back in the little kids section and he was reading books and apparently he just learned to read on his own like actually yeah. read and I had that flash and I remembered that feeling of how amazing it was to because we used to sit after dinner the whole family sit around and everybody would read books and before I could read I would sit there with a book and I'd look at everybody <laughs> and I'd look at the book and I'd try to figure out what they were doing like how they were getting that yeah what was in there that they were getting and it was like I remember that feeling of suddenly understanding what it was that was it was a real revelation to me it was 
very, I remember it being more potent than even music, I, I think. You know, it's just that, how are they getting this? It's silent, it's internal, and I don't understand it. Right. Like, it's really... So that was your first spark? Like, just... Yeah. Wow. And I... And I mean, we always had music in the house, and my grandfather was a musician, and and uh, my dad always had a drum kit everywhere we went. He was just, you know, really, yeah. I don't know why <laughs> a drum kit and a punching bag, <laughs> a heavy so bag. You both, know, you need both ways of uh, yeah. you know getting rid of some frustration. I think <laughs> drumming is the full body workout for musicians. I yeah. think you're doing everything at the same time, and it's punching bag, obviously. Yes, obviously. Maybe he just was like, ah, oh, it was a nice outlet. It was pretty funny. I never thought about it until later. You know, when you you realize that your friend's dads didn't do that, you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did he play out though? Did he play? No, with, no. He, he played. He played very in. Was in. he good? You I think I don't know. He's probably all right. I think you know. He's probably. He enjoyed himself. What if he had a secret life as like a amazing jazz drummer or something? Who knows? Well, I know my grandfather did, and he like that to his end of his days was like he had a he before he went to the war he was playing in big bands. He had his own big band, you know, mm. and these are all kids from the farm out in like rural Ontario that right. had no money, but they had made got these instruments and they were like gonna be like Benny Goodman, you know? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that was your initial spark, and then, so how old were you? I don't know. When do you learn to read? Like, uh, 14? Yeah, no, six, seven, I, I guess. <laughs> like, in that Is weird... That, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to teach my kid to read, and I, I don't know how to do it. He, he's got a great memory, so I think he's reading. I'm like, what does this say? And he'll just, like, oh. because we've read him the story so much, he'll... But it's to the word. And I'm like, are you reading or remembering right now? Well, isn't that interesting? Because I think that is linked, that how they... How you learn to read is is like it's somewhere in that memory yeah. and recognition because oh, absolutely oh. they're connected i just i don't trust my son he t- tells a lot of lies he's a dirty liar a little bit but I, <laughs> i'm just like are you reading this like it's but it's true when you read something to him enough times like i said to you maybe i don't know if this was while we were eating but like he's got a ridiculous memory for song lyrics and and he just remembers great memory and you can't, because of that, unfortunately, we can't pull anything on over on him. Yeah. He's just like, he's like a lawyer. It's like a little <laughs> tiny, like, but last time what you said was. <laughs> Does he I, quote you verbatim yes. too? Is this verbatim? Uh-oh, yes. that's and he's trouble. Like, everything's very literal with a kid. Like, he can't be sarcastic, which is, uh, can be they tricky. They don't get it. Me. Well, and it can be damaging. Like, it can be just like, <laughs> yeah, you have to be careful. Because I, did you ever want to have kids? Me? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't think so. No. It was never a thing. Okay. But it, it uh, I sure appreciate, like, my sister has kids, and I really enjoy the process of having family humans that came from small to big. I think you'd find a lot of inspiration there for stuff. Like, there's just... That's what I've heard people yeah, say. My sh- ship has sailed, though. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying... It's too it, late, Vish. Oh, no, I didn't mean to get into Can that. I have one of yours? <laughs> I hear you got, like, an extra one. There's another one coming. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just interesting how inspiring they can be like they just you kind of start to revisit your life relive your life when you have a kid oh yeah because you're just like and but at a, earlier anyway you're at a point where you're like you have no recollection of being a, a tiny baby but at some point right. you re- you start to read them alligator pie or whatever you found interesting when you were a kid and you're like whoa weird i'm t- i or like i can't believe i read this when i was a kid like this is really dark or or whatever. And anyway, but you are just like revisiting your youth. 
by having a kid. Oh, and that's a lovely way of looking at it. Because, yeah, it's hard to... It's interesting just, yeah, watching a lot of our friends um, having kids and having seeing how the experience is so... Mm-hmm. You know, because you're trying to... Uh, and we're all hard. making it up as we go along. <laughs> my parents said to my parents-in-law... My parents-in-law from Alberta came during the birth oh of, my our, God. of our first son. Um, well, they were they in there with you, like hatchers no, and that. No, we did it in the house. Like we had midwives, uh, so they were around. But no, they split for the actual birth because they thought they should, and I didn't. I that's probably what they should have done. But yeah, yeah. But at the same time, um, my parents said to them, like a few days after the birth, like, "Thank God you came. We didn't know what we were doing when Vishal was born. Like they, <laughs> like my parents are." I, like we and you know we're at a point where like my parents have to babysit Levon, but I don't think my parents are fit to raise children. I really don't, <laughs> or look after them. Like I just don't think it makes any sense. Yeah. They don't know what they're anyway. I feel bad. I feel so bad. It's a miracle that you are here today. I don't know. Sur- t- television was my surrogate parent, really, <laughs> and it kind of comes out. David Letterman and Grover is what really raised me Johnny Carson in a weird way anyway um, yeah so your interest in music was sparked just because it was in the house well we had a piano you know my dad had a drum kit um, guitars and you stuff like that. tootle around on those uh, well I used to write I write songs using air quotes when I say that but uh, I remember wanting to do that and I would write them with the notes because I took piano lessons so I knew what the notes were and I would draw and make songs and write them down and they had lyrics and stuff oh, but wow. it was more like a art project I don't think it was necessarily a brilliant musical genius at work I was not not like Mozart I was not a prodigy right I was just kind of because I came to music even late like as a as a as a job you know but did you have any you had some training obviously a little bit yeah you did but I don't lessons? really yeah 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 and I did I went to Humber for a year did the little went to the jazz program the year that I went to Humber College was the year they uh, outlawed smoking. Oh no! In the classrooms. Oh. I think you could still do it in the halls. You could smoke in the classroom. Yeah, they had ashtrays on all the desks. Ugh. And sorry, that's gross. <laughs> the, Were you a I smoker? I don't think I was, but it it I just remember all of the the uh, teachers and students. Everybody was just like, "This is outrageous. This will never last. Like they'll never be able to make this like." People just couldn't believe that it was, there was just a, it was not even outrage. It was just disbelief. This, this will never last. Yeah. And it didn't. It didn't take No, no. <laughs> so you did the Humber thing. The Humber, for those who don't know, this is like a college in Toronto. Yeah. North, well, I went to the North Campus. Like kind of. Near Malton. You, yeah. Malton. Right. But it's got a weird reputation because like people come out of there and they're usually really slick, shit hot players. But they're like technical kind of players. I don't know how to put this. It just seems like no, no, it's very professional. Well, and it is weird, and I I think that's an interesting thing that I'm coming to right now because I am now teaching. uh, John and I teach at UBC in the creative writing department, right? And we teach the online MFA program there in the creative writing, and we have a a songwriting course. But it's it's through creative writing. It's not through music, which I think is sort of the key. Um, because neither John nor I came to music or songwriting or writing from an academic mm-hmm, perspective, mm-hmm. but I am recognizing that there is a place for that and that it can be, we're using kind of like the Iowa Writers Workshop model where it's it's most of it is coming from the students themselves and you're just 
it's the idea of conversation. Art is conversation. So right, right. And just, uh, I think now in retrospect, I wish that I had had something like that because it's certainly the kind of training that you're getting to be a technical player like that isn't necessarily the conversation part of it. It's like, uh, and like jazz is a conversation. You listen to jazz music, it's conversation. It's not, you're not taking solos. Yeah. You're talking to each other, yeah, you know? Right. And so it's just a weird shift if you're, if you're trying to te teach it as an academic uh, field. Yeah. It's, it's, it maybe it's like a show, not tell, you know, kind of thing. I don't did know. you go to school? Like for, did you go to university and stuff? <laughs> did you go? No, no. Well, we talked about, <laughs> sorry. I just put it, I meant we already established that you had sort of minimal musical training. Yes. But did you go to like I went English to University of Guelph for, uh, how I, many years? I think I did two years and I stopped. Yeah. So I'm partway through an undergrad. I knew this. We talked about this when we were in Guelph recently. Yeah. Um, or yeah, yeah. Well, years ago now. Um, no. Two years of undergrad in what program? I was sort of like, yeah. I had just whatever. But General arts, yeah. Philosophy. I took. I liked the philosophy department a lot when I was there, and the English department. So I was taking mostly. I don't remember who the names of the professors, but they were fantastic, and I just was. Uh, it wasn't for me. But your songwriting is is so great. I mean, I don't want to you know make you uncomfortable, but I really love your songwriting. It's very distinctive, and you know you're a great storyteller. This is just an or organic. Uh, this is organic output, so to speak. Like, this is not something you were kind of trained to do. Well, and I wonder, can we... Tr that's what I... I mean, I think certain people thrive in an academic setting, and I think there's so much value to that, and and maybe even more so now, because mm. because we've maybe figured it out a little bit more, although it, I've noticed just as an observer and the as, like, working at, as a university, I'm we're just adjunct faculty... But there's just a that is the thing that I'm that concerns me right now is this all these sessional type people coming in and they're not getting well paid they're not they're professionals in their field many of whom unlike me have actual educations that they yeah. spent many years and a lot of dough make like making that happen and that it's there aren't just very many people that are being academics as a profession anymore right, which right. is I think we need those people well I think we're it's being weeded out purposefully. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, certainly... I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I think that everything that's happening in sort of cultural production, and I count academia, um, aspects of academia around that, I think it's just being very insidiously and subtly uh, uh, destroyed. Uh, and I think it's finally being noticed by people, but... Certainly because it's an... It, you, we always notice it when it's at its most dramatic, like you're looking at it like oh you see all the I feel like the cutting though has been so gradual right. in a sense that it was very smart it wasn't just like we're going to go in and cut all this stuff it was like little by little incrementally by incrementally we have a 10 year plan as to how we're going to and so it seems soft and it puts a lot of people in limbo just like you talk to people who make work in cultural production sectors and they'll just like how, how are things going well you know we're hanging on we're just waiting and seeing a lot yeah. of people are just waiting for something to shift or to be finally told that they're not doing the thing they're doing anymore. That must that must be awful. That yes. limbo. Yeah. So, anyway, I don't know why we're talking about this, but I I steered it there. You did. I'm sorry. No. I didn't mean to. It's just because we were talking about academics, and I and I do think I think there's so much value in it, and I don't want to be say to be the person that says I didn't get an education and I turned out great. <laughs> you know, it's like I had a lot of other things going for me that. I didn't Clearly. need to do that. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like, 
I live in a first world country and uh and i was growing up at a time when there were jobs like i could yeah. actually get a job yeah so yeah no, you know it's fair it's different different time now you uh, did you meet john through musical sort of circumstances through mutual friends i had actually when i met him i had never heard his music before oh he was I already making songs and yeah yeah oh yeah. yeah we i met him uh i think it was early on in weaker thans maybe they'd made one record okay and i and i remember hearing it and kind of going that's okay <laughs> but <laughs> which is fair i i know a few people who are more discerning and honest than you which is great it's funny because he's written these really loving, like open songs. Like he's got a song that's about you and I know. that interaction. It's about could be about you though, couldn't it? Could be about anybody. No, I think it's about you. <laughs> I just think it's about you. But yeah, it's just this. Maybe it's not. It's a protagonist. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But it seems to be about you. Anyway, and he's he kind of really captured you in a way. What song am I thinking of? I can't think of the name of that song. Swearing in it. In the title. I think just in the song. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you tell me to F off. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember the name of the song. Why don't we remember? You should know the name of the goddamn song. I don't know. I don't listen to that music. <laughs> <laughs> You're not allowed to sit at home and listen to each other's records. No. That's the but drag, you, actually. Didn't you used to do a thing where you would each sort of have writing competitions? Competitions, yes. Like competitions who, who are excellent <laughs> for art production. No, we're, we're, it wasn't like a little sort of quiet challenge to each well, other? Well, we do, yeah. We still, and we still periodically do that. Um, it's in a less sort of formulaic, more like, okay, we've been commissioned to do this thing, so we have to do Oh, okay. It. <laughs> right. Not necessarily. We don't have the luxury of time like we used to. But you might have input into, like if you were putting out a Christine Fellows record, he's working on John K. Sampson or Weaker Than stuff, you're having input in... Oh, absolutely. We consi- we're almost to the point where we consider ourselves one brain because he's got, obvi- he has skills and that I don't and, you know, he's Vice whatever. Versa. He's he's amazing. He's an amazing writer and actually a really great editor yeah. in a lot of ways. And so we're brutally honest with each other um, and everything kind of goes goes through the you know we're just there. For no, each it makes other. sense. Yeah, you get he works upstairs. I work downstairs. And then you kind of go up and downstairs and be like, "What do you think of this?" And we email each other. <laughs> email each other. The, that makes sense. <laughs> you come down here, help me with this thing. The modern intercom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. Okay, so. I'm just curious what's next for you. We, we've sort of touched upon... Sorry, this was a little fractured. We ate our food. We talked about... I know. Sorry. No. It is me. It's, I'm no, on it's a cold you. medication. And no, it. no, no, no. We talked about budgies and we talked about good stuff, but um, hopefully people have a little sense of burning daylight now, <laughs> which is what we we're ostensibly supposed to talk about. I guess I didn't really ask you about why you thought to explore this avenue of a book that complements a record that's a little that's a bit new well it was kind of uh, it actually was a lot of it was John's idea in a weird sort of way I was really um, I had recorded the album the album was done and I had always had the vision that that album would be um, would be adapted for the stage in some way Mm. and I was in fact working with a wonderful choreographer um, uh, Lysandra Dodson do you know her Um. she used to live here in Toronto she's lived in Winnipeg she's one of my uh, all-time favorite artists. She's an extraordinary artist. And I really, um, I wanted to m- her to take this on, and we were kind of working toward it, and it just, uh, 
it turned out that it was just harder to make it happen than in this, like we were just talking about things being clawed back theater. It's not a great time to try to put on a theater, make a theater piece that has a six person cast yeah. for touring. And, <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. So, so I was sitting there with this project sort of half done and going, I, I know it's something else. It's not just, it's not just a record. It's not just a record. Yeah. What is it? And then I just sort of put it away for a minute and, and I had this incredible opportunity last fall to go up to Nunavut and just as a, I yeah. was working as a sound designer and, and record like the guy made doing the sound, which I don't normally do like for this project up in, in Igluluk. And it was with my friend, Alicia Smith, mm-hmm. who is an NFB national film board producer. And so it was, we were up there with the crew and had this kind of life altering. I don't know if you've traveled up in the North at all, but I've been to, it's funny you say that because I was just going to ask if there was. You must. You you have probably been to every province and territory in this country now. Uh, Labrador, I oh. but even though I know it's Newfoundland and Labrador, I haven't oh. been to Labrador. Damn it, that that might be me too. I like to say that the only place I haven't been is Nunavut. I like to say that to anyone. I put it on my business card. The only place I've never been is Nunavut, and I want to go. Yeah. And I just don't know how to do it. I know it's insanely expensive. Yeah. I learned later what. What that but I've been flown up to I've been to Yellowknife and I've been flown up to uh, Dawson City I got flown out to the Dawson City Music Festival so I got to ch- and I stayed in Whitehorse and walked around and stuff and loved Dawson City um, so yeah I've been to the areas uh, Yellowknife I was there a week and it was cool amazing but yeah sorry but I haven't been to none of it well hopefully I'm, it is interesting because it, it it's it when you're when you suddenly go up there and you have the perspective of where where it is in Canada, it's actually just, it's a huge part of the, it's huge. Yeah. There's a lot going on up there and especially art- artistically and um, culturally, like it's, it's just a, it, it's like a foreign land. I was in Iceland this spring and, or summer, I guess, and uh, it felt very much like there was a relationship between those places there. They're there. They've created their own culture. There's mm-hmm. like, it's its own thing up there. Yeah. It's very distinct from Northwest Territories or Yukon even like as the North is. It's it's really specific. Right. But I love that specificity of it. But it's also, you know, changing so more rapidly than anywhere else because of the Northwest Passage just opened up in 2013. Oh, okay. Um, which is huge. And that will affect people. That's going right through Nunavut. And there's going to be big shipping going through there and these are like traditional fishing place places where fishing and hunting and and just uh huge mega mining mm. projects and mm. stuff up on baffin island it's just uh it's just happening it's right happening now right now it's it, happening was it happening when you were there it was being uh they were starting to build the railway that uh, in the baffin land to the baffin land mining and and just Already, you know, the things that happened in the 60s of, like, forcing the Inuit people to live in settlements when they're not, that don't live, that's not traditionally yeah. how, didn't make sense. Right. You know, it, all of this stuff is sort of uh, coming out from, from, well, uh, from that. And I felt like when I was there and seeing the, how mining is affecting that place and, uh, and then going to having been to Dawson and seeing even the resurgence of the gold mining is now in yep. currently going on. And just these two, they seem to really relate to each other to me. I don't know. And completely different 
completely different ways, but it is Canada, right. you know? So to me, then I started just writing poems. I wasn't writing songs. I was writing poems and I couldn't stop, couldn't stop. And, uh, now there is a now there's a poetry now book. they're together nice well that's yeah. great that must be exciting for you to explore a new world and yeah poetry who knew <laughs> poets have more fun poets have a lot of fun I think I think they're I think they do I'm hoping yeah. I did you know my first reading and it went I think it went all right I can't wait to read the poetry book that's very exciting I'm glad you did this well I got a book for you here Albert. oh that's very cool yeah. that's great look I asked for something and I got it done. that's great <laughs> I wasn't just fishing for a book I really can't wait to read it uh, cool. you're nice I am nice <laughs> Try to be nice. So anything coming up next for you that we, you mentioned that you're doing this tour? Yeah, so we've got a new Sherry and I who, uh, I've been working with her for years now, but we've finally done a thing that it's just the two of us. It's We've made a show and it's from the ground up, all all new art, all new music, and we've... Oh, they're ca- those, that's a whole other, okay. Right. We've made a whole new thing. So we're we're starting that. We'll be touring a lot in the, in the year to come, okay. in the next year. Maybe we'll come out here. There's yeah, talk. That'd be great. And the book is out on which press? ARP. Which is? John Sampson's. That's well, he's the currently the managing editor, but now is stepping down after many years of doing oh, that okay. job. Okay. Yeah. So that's out. And then the record comes with the book? or Yeah. Okay. Yep. You get the book with the record yep. and done. There's a CD in it, but there's a download code for people that live in the future. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's great. So it's all out on ARP. Yeah. And then anything beyond this? So you, you can't think beyond? No, I think they have that thing in the touring shows probably. In a, I have a whole new record written, so we'll see. I've kind of been doing this thing because uh, Jason Tate, the drummer for The Weekend Dance, just moved to Winnipeg in the, a, year like a year ago. Yeah. And uh, I've started playing with him again. We used to play a lot before he moved and even when he lived here in Toronto. And so I'm curious about that, about working with yeah, him again. Cool. He's a wonderful musician and I love drums and the last record had no drums so yeah, yeah. like maybe I want to play with some I drums I think you should play with some drums again it's so great it's fun it's the best instrument I like playing drums I know you're <laughs> <laughs> I just it's fun you and Gian Gomeshi yes so similar <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's a nice way to end uh, thank you for being on the show and for bringing me to this place uh, what's it called again Milagro yeah I know I think we should have a margarita now before we go I don't know if I can do that but I appreciate <laughs> the offer is there another song we can play from uh, Burning Daylight ah why don't we do um, it's here it's the my first sort of foray into spoken word although it's not my own words that I'm speaking uh, it's called The Gold Seekers and it's uh, this guy Hamlin uh, Garland yeah and he was a poet writing at the time of Jack London around that time and uh, so I adapted a piece of his work and kind of changed the pronoun from male to female and had a little bit of fun and Ford Pier arranged it the oh, wonderful nice. brilliant Ford Pier yeah so it's bonkers <laughs> alright let's hear it Christine <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show thanks Fish. it's so nice seeing you and nice I'm, to see you I'm glad you're having fun doing stuff <laughs> you doggies <laughs> Oh, yeah, and good luck with Pickles. Thanks. <laughs> He's going to be great. I saw these dreamers of dreams go by. I trod in their footsteps a space. Each marched with her eyes on the sky. Each passed with a light on
came from the hopeless and sad. They faced the future in gold. Some the tooth of once wolf had made mad. And some at the forge had grown old. The light will fade from each eye. The smile from each face. They will curse the impassable sky. Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.